Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson your personal astrophysicist, and we're coming to you from my office at the Hayden Planetarium of the American Museum of Natural History, right here in New York City. And this edition of Star Talk, we're calling Summer School. Yeah. <laughs> Who said yeah? <laughs> the professor. <laughs> Friend and colleague, Charles Liu. Charles, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I love summer school. You love summer Absolutely. school. Absolutely. And I got my co-host for this episode, Matt Gershon. Matt. Hey. Uh, welcome back. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, host of probably maybe science? Probably science. Well, could be science? Nearly science. Not sure if it's science? Almost there. <laughs> Almost there. <laughs> I can't believe it's not science. <laughs> no, it's science. Probably science. Um, a weekly review of uh, science current events. That's exactly it. Excellent. Excellent. That's the podcast. Keep that going. Keep that going. Charles, uh, professor? Yes. At the uh, City University of New York. So uh, we're kind of equals nine? here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. No, so, we are. So this is, a, a this is a Cosmic Queries version, but it, it's called Summer School. People just trying to catch up. That's right. With stuff right. they might or have missed. Ahead. Or get ahead. Or get ahead. Uh -huh. I forgot. Summer School's for getting yeah, ahead, that's too. Right. Mm -hmm. right. For, for motivated students. That's and right. And with that in mind, I think let's start off with a, a quite an academically advanced question. Let's do it. I think uh, Cooper Holland on Instagram asks, how hard would I have to fart to knock Earth into escape velocity? <laughs> also, wouldn't sunrise be a good time to try it? Mm. That's wow. Cooper Holland from Arizona State. <coughs> from ASU. <laughs> ASU. Okay. I'm, I'm coughing because I'm imagining how much gas needs to be used to make that happen. But the reality is, first, 
I assume you have an escape velocity from the sun, right? No, he wants to escape from the earth. Oh, he wants to escape from the earth. I thought he wanted well, the earth to escape from the sun. Oh, now that yes, is a different. massive. Yeah, it's way harder. Earth into escape velocity. That's harder than just if he wanted to right, escape. Right, right. If yeah. he wants to escape, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> just a few cans of beans. There you, you know. go. <laughs> we Put him on a gantry. <laughs> <laughs> no, earth would be a lot harder. Um, because Earth's uh, orbital velocity is well, I just about, now can't get that picture out of my head. He's positioned on a gantry in yeah. Cape Canaveral. Yeah, <laughs> three. Last two, two. cup of beans. <laughs> One. Launch a bullet for weather. But, but is that orbit. solid fuel or a liquid fuel rocket? No? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that see? would be... See? No, that's just air pressure that's fuel. Just a, yeah. That's, that's just pressure that's just fuel. A, mm -hmm. okay. So it's really a bottle rocket. It's a rocket. pneumatic rocket. A bottle rocket. <laughs> pneumatic rocket. Yeah. Or like a, like a, um, a, a, a CO2 pellet. Right, yeah, right. Rifle. Like yeah, a, it's pneumatic. Yeah. yeah. Wow. No, see, Earth's orbital velocity is about thirty kilometers per second. Per second, right? correct. Around the um, sun, you have mm -hmm. to take the square root of two of that, and so that makes time one point four times thirty is so about forty-two kilometers per second. Mm -hmm. Earth's mass is about because it's a cute little fact yeah. that whatever is your orbital velocity around which you're orbiting, if you multiply that by the square root of two. That's the speed life. to escape that mm -hmm. object. Yeah. It's a very ah, cool fact. It is. It's neat. It's mm -hmm. nice coincidence in math. Mm -hmm. And the Earth's mass, of Square course... Square root of two is, is about 1.4. Yeah. Yeah. Earth's mass is 6 tr billion trillion tons, right? So to generate the amount of impulse necessary to get Earth that much mass up to that velocity, mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of cans of beans. Yeah, because you it's a momentum thing. Yeah. So you need enough expelled gas so that the recoil of your planet can be meaningful yes. and significant. Right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you'd also have to make sure you're in some way tethered to the Earth so you're not just blasting You can drag yourself. the Earth with you. <laughs> right. right. Otherwise, you would just fly off at a tangent. Right. Yes. Right. So, so I think ideally you'd want to get all humans involved in this. Right. You'd need. You don't want to be every, holding onto a tree or something. You, you'd also need every cow in the world. Yeah, the to, cows. You got to put them all together. Mm. Um, I think that's a very good summer school problem calculation to do. Yes, Cooper. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, that's great. But in principle, yes. Yeah. So, in other done. words, if you are in space, there are various ways you can actually set yourself into motion. Mm -hmm. But to do so, you have to lose mass. From your body, right. either gas through gas, liquid, or solid. Yeah, and if you're at sunrise, that would be a good time because the best way to inject that extra velocity, the delta v, is in the direction of the orbit, the tangent to the orbit. So not mm -hmm. straight out, as some people might think, but actually out at a ninety degree angle. So you can build with to the speed that the Earth has itself. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, but all that methane. That could be a pretty dangerous situation. It's true. One match. And that's you've it. Got yeah. Then you have a bomb. That's a, that's a flare. That's a yeah. bomb. And also, oh, that's yeah. a greenhouse yeah. gas. Yes, it is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, very potent. More so, potent than CO two. True. So you really have to light that thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> but then that, light. But then you light fly out it into space. You control that lighting. No, wait a Wait. If you leave Earth, yeah. you need the greenhouse gases to, to stay retain warm. There you go. Oh, the warmth. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. So it's it's the balance. It's the balance. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. That's very exciting. You know what? I think I'm going to have to assign that to my astrophysics class next year. And then the dean will call you. Into <laughs> the office and say, <laughs> well, maybe Cooper will help me out with that. Mm -hmm. Well. Well, we are doing calculations. <laughs> Tom Foreman on Facebook asks, is math a discovery or an invention? 
Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Don't get me started. I want to hear Charles first. Okay. Well, remember that my wife is a mathematician. Yes, she is. Right. And so I. And my wife has a PhD in mathematical physics. That's right. Twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> so we got math going in That's the right. family here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my son also, uh, given a choice of either studying math or astrophysics in college, has chosen math. Mm. Anyway, that's okay. We still I'm love you. Sorry. It, yeah, I, I know. I know. Um, yeah. Such a disappointment. I, I, when did you know? Were the signs always there? <laughs> When he was a little kid putting refrigerator magnets in strange shapes, I knew that something knew was up. Something, something so was, he up. was hiding something, something in was the closet. Up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> anyway, math is something that exists by itself, but mathematics as we use it and formulate it today is an, an invention of humans. Uh, this is a clear um, reality of the universe because things will do what they're doing whether we understand them or not. And we created math in order to try to understand and reproduce and utilize those things that nature provides for us. So for example, when the ancients were building pyramids, they invented geometry, right? Those pyramids would have stood anyway if we had put them together and not known the equations. But with the equations, the ancients were able to build them properly. The same is true with, say, rocket equations that allow us to send things out into space. We could have sent things into space without knowing how to do the calculations, but we wouldn't have had much control over it. So bottom line, the math you see in textbooks today or in papers, we humans have invented that following a set of rules that nature has provided for us as a template. Neil. I'm okay with that. Okay. I, I'm okay. I, I don't like debates about whether one word or another word best describes it, I'd rather say that maybe our language needs yet a third word that perfectly accounts for it, and then we get rid of the argument altogether. Oh. And would that word be a discovery <clears throat> or an invention? <laughs> <laughs> it's the word between the two that we don't have. Discovention. <laughs> it's, it's why we argue... Math, math, sax, math, math. Is, oh, yeah, yeah, you math. Is it a particle or is it a wave in quantum... Why are we arguing that? It's both. We just don't have a word. We tried. We tried wavicle, but it didn't catch on. <laughs> a wave and a particle. So, so I, I, I just don't. It sounds like some sort of branding exercise from the eighties. Seventies, seventies, discovention. Okay. <laughs> the fact that math works at all as a tool to decode the universe is evidence that the universe, at least the parts that have revealed itself to us, um follows logical, repeatable, repeatable patterns. And math is simply a way to code for logical, repeatable patterns. And if... So it's remarkable that math can describe the universe at all, except that math is a perfectly logical system, and so is the universe. Put them together, of course. It's a marriage made in heaven. Very much like music, right? Math, music, that kind of connection. Mm -hmm. And the Bee Gees understood that well with their song. Calculus, calculus. <laughs> yeah, 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 calculus. And as I, I thought calculus was an emperor of Rome. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's an old joke. I heard that long ago. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to... Calculus, com- the brother of Clavius. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, Matt. While we're talking about things get between Get us off things, this topic really fast. I will. Well, I'm going I'm to combine two different questions together. Uh, so Eric Hansen on Facebook asks, I recently read that if all of the space were taken out of every human on Earth, the resulting mass would be about the size of a cube of sugar. Yep, how then right. can anyone adequately explain how the entire mass of the observable universe was once was at once a point only microns wide. Mm. And then I'm going to combine this with this other question. You're going to combine that? Com- oh, that's how, a beautiful question how on its own. How are you going to add something to that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is a little coda question. I, I could have thrown it out str- afterwards, but I thought okay, I'm go. going to leave this just in your subconscious to bubble over while you're answering that gotcha. one. From Ashton Norton, also on Facebook, other than the Big Bang, are there any other scientific theories that have been discussed as possible ex- explanations for where we came from? Well, so those those two together or separate as you choose. Okay, so this is basically a cosmology question. Sure. Right? Sure. So I'll take the cosmology question number one. You can take cosmology question number two. I like both of them. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll answer each one Go. halfway. Okay, you answer okay. each half. All right. Leave me a little room at the end. Go. All right. So the reason the universe is so different now than it was back then is simply because there was some kind of physics that happened between the moment of the Big Bang and the present day that we still don't yet understand. It is completely true that the universe back then, the density of the universe right around the moment of the Big Bang at the Planck time, we call it, was approximately 10 to the 97 uh, kilograms per cubic meter. All right. And that's pretty dense. Yeah. And even if we took Heavy all man. of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> We're back in the 60s now. We went from the 70s to the 60s. We got to get some. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You said it. Um, We have a a circumstance where the matter of that density is so removed from anything we can think of that that human beings the size of a a, a cube of sugar uh, analogy when you move all the space, uh, that density is still only about 10 to the 15 kilograms per cubic meter. So there was just another state of matter yeah. or the matter right. itself wait, wait, Charles, is so isn't different. It, wait, isn't, I thought it's not even that complicated. Okay? okay. If it stays as solid matter, just taking out all the space between the particles, yeah, you're not going to get much smaller than that. But at the temperatures of the early universe, matter is not stable as solid matter. It, it's energy. And you can pack energy into any kind of small volume you want. Mm-hmm. So that's the right way that, to say is it. Is that a fair way to it? It is a completely it. fair way to say it. And so as a result, the, the laws of physics that were governing that behavior uh, produced something that eventually evolved into our universe today. And we have yet to uh, decipher scientifically the processes that went from that to now. That's a, that wait, is wait, a wait. I, I have to tighten that. It's not that one of them to now. What went from then to a little bit after then. Because we know yes. what happened a little bit after then until now. We yeah, got that's that. fair. That's good physics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and by little bit after, Neil, I think you're referring to 10 to the minus 30, 30 seconds, seconds, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So 0.000. A gazillion of a second. Yeah. <laughs> so we've managed to trace it back a very long way. Yes. Right. But that last but little just bit. Just that last gazillion of a second is really, really the hard really confusing right. bit. And, and that segues into that second part of the it question. It does. Where... What is going on in that tiny, tiny fraction of a second that is so different from what we know today in our universe? And so that's where the speculation can lie, right? 
what could have happened other than a Big Bang as we understand it today? Um, could something else have generated the kinds of energies and effects that have led to the way the universe expands today? There's lots of speculation. It was really, really hard to be able to decipher or to pinpoint the physics involved. It's we're adding extra dimensions, we're adding extra particles, we're adding all kinds of extra crazy ideas, and none of them have yet panned out in a scientifically verifiable way. And let me just say, do you think we're happy about a Big Bang? Yeah, <laughs> this, <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> this, this is like weird stuff, all right? But evidence points to that. Yeah. The universe we now occupy can be described by what happens if you had a Big Bang as as accounted for with a small, dense, hot, early beginning. And it gives us the, the amount of the hydrogen and helium and neutrinos and, and, and the age and the density and the distribution. All of this comes out of that. If you have a better idea, fine. <laughs> we'll take it. But until then, we're stuck with the Big Bang. How's that? Is that another way to think I about think it? I think that's a great point. Okay. Yeah. The imperfections of a scientific theory drive people nuts. Mm -hmm. We want theories to be perfect, but right. they're not. And that's where the science and the learning happens. But what you don't know is whether the addition is just an add-on or whether you have to throw out everything and come up with a new idea. Do you think that last gazillionth of a second will be explained or, or is it even explainable? We've got top people working on it right now. Mm -hmm. They're called string theorists. Yeah. Top people. And cosmologists top. in general. Yeah. Top people. Mm -hmm. String theorists is just one group of promising paths. But all of cosmology is really about trying to get that last little tiny bit. Yeah. Um, question. This is, uh, I'm going to stay on this theme for okay. one more question. Mm -hmm. Because Chris Culton on Facebook asks... Why aren't we expanding with the universe if we are part of the universe? Ah, Ooh. I get asked that question a lot and by I'm, my students. And I'm going to add a coda to that. Will I ever break six foot? <laughs> <laughs> are you still growing? We're still wearing... Well, I'm, I'm hopefully still expanding. That can help you there. Uh, we will get to the answer to that when we return for our second segment of Summer School Star Talk. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. In a fast-paced world... 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. The future of space and the secrets of our planet revealed. This is Star Talk. We're back in our second segment of Star Talk Summer School. When you have to go to summer school, you got to bring in the big guns. Charles Liu, <laughs> professor. Really? Thank you, Neil. Professor Charles Liu, CUNY Staten Island. Matt Kirshen. The little gun. The, the little gun. <laughs> the littlest gun. <laughs> Wait, so how tall are you? How tall are you? Like 5'5". Five, 5'5 five. Five, five and 120 pounds. Yep. Eight and a half stone. Let's be specific. Excuse me. Excuse me. Eight and a half stone. Yeah, because Britain really doesn't know what units to use. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're metric sometimes, and sometimes Which we're at, stone. You yeah. know. In some cases, we're ahead of you. We do fruit and veg in metric. <laughs> we normally do Celsius for temperature, but then we'll do stones. <laughs> yeah, you got. You have issues. Yeah, metric issues. We're comparing things to the size of animals. It's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where the stones come from. I don't even know. No, that's what where a the stone hands. Well, you have hands. Like, for yeah, the hands. hands and, yeah. Whose hands? Whose feet? <laughs> so we left off at the first segment. A question about yes, if the universe is expanding and we are part of the universe, why are we not expanding? Mm-hmm. And the answer is electromagnetic forces. See, the expansion of the universe is its own thing, but it does not. Um, counteract on small scales, things like atoms and molecules pulling one another or electrons and protons or even- like literally the atoms and molecules in his pinky that he yeah. was pulling. Right, right. So <laughs> As this, he picks his fingers on his hands. That's yes. an excellent point, uh-huh. yeah. So the reason my uh, pinky nail is not expanding away from my pinky uh, finger is because they're being held together by other kinds of forces. Way stronger forces. In the shorts. In the short distance. Yeah, yeah. in the short distances. Yeah. So out at the distances of millions or billions of light years, the expansion of the universe dominates. Even galaxies are carried along for the ride. But on scales of humans, or even planets really, uh, those other forces are much stronger. Even the solar system is not expanding. That's okay, because I I always, I've been given the analogy in the past of the blowing up the balloon and watching the dots get further apart. On the surface, yeah. That's right, but is is it then almost more like sort of blowing up a globe that has like um, ice sheets floating on it, but the ice sheets stay the ice sheets stay in one clump. That is a correct, better yes. assessment. And they answer. become further apart as yes. the globe expands. Yeah, right. on, a, on a balloon, if you drew a galaxy on it, that galaxy would yeah, actually, would get, actually bigger. get bigger. Yeah, that, right. that's not so you should put like little sticky notes on the balloon and that would work. Right, yeah. sticky notes that have the ability to little slide. Lifesavers, you glue them on and they'll oh, just yeah. stay right. in one yeah, shape. Yeah, you can do that the too. So on. the sticky notes themselves or the lifesavers would become further apart, but within themselves From they would stay the same size. Correct. You got it. Okay. Yeah. So I understand something a lot better now. There we you got go. good questions. We do. Out we there. do. Man. We have what an excellent audience. This Star is Talk this has. is an excellent audience. Unless they just called from. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sure these are. We'll, we'll check with our deal. researchers. Find out. <laughs> All right, Matt. Next. All right, from Ben Ratner. 
at Ben Makes TV on Twitter. Oh, oh that guy. I've heard of that guy oh, before. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ben mm-hmm. says, please describe the laws of physics. It sounds like we're doing Ben's homework. Oh, right? uh, <laughs> no, no, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to pull rank here. You ready? Go ahead. Okay. Um, in one of my books, yes. I have a chapter called Unearth as in the Heavens. Ooh. And it's all about the effort to discover laws of physics on Earth and the question about whether they apply in places other than Earth. Mm. And okay. it's not a given that that should be the case. Okay. Okay. It might have been that something you discover here on Earth is different on Mars or different on... But it turns out it's not. It's the same. What I would be interested in is not necessarily the laws of physics, because that's mm-hmm. what I live with all my life. Do you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have but, a choice? <laughs> what are the laws of psychics? Okay. I- I've never been curious about that. Maybe really? I should be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe here's we the can thing. Get, yeah, we can okay. get... Uh, the headline you've never seen. Yeah, yeah. Psychic predicts winning lottery number a second time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You don't, That's true. You, don't, you don't get that. That's true. But otherwise, the laws of physics are very simple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they fit, you know, if you... If I, hit, okay. I remember I was in school yeah. and somebody was taking an accounting class oh, and I saw the yeah. book that they were carrying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It had like a million pages yep. in the book. Yeah. And my book, which was on like all of gravitational physics, had like a third that many pages. Yep. So I, I can understand the whole universe based on what's <laughs> in my book, but they need a book four times the fat just to be able to do somebody's taxes. Right, fair enough. And I said... Because you can't deduce the tax code. You can't deduce the, Thank you. That's the difference. Yeah. The good thing about physics is you learn some rules and then all the rest derive from them. Pretty much, Very yeah. powerful. Um, you know, when and we, then every so often a cup, someone comes along and goes, actually, those rules are all slightly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, well, we have, we have Newton's uh, F yeah. equals MA. Right. You got equals MC squared. Yep. You got Maxwell's equations. Yep. We're done, practically. Pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Throwing in, a few uh, quantum physics equations. Years, years worth equation. of phys- Yeah, years worth of physics study is just F on one side, force, and then MA, mass times acceleration, on the other side. And you just change F in a gazillion different ways. You change MA in a gazillion different ways. And that, that spring, and from that springs forth, the physics. for free. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Great question. All right. Uh, I really enjoy this question because apart from everything else, it came from a four-year-old. Oh. The four-year-old son. Like she tells after when, <laughs> when we're stumped. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the four-year-old son of Pinty from Laos asks. Laos? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Nice. Why do punctured balloons fly around chaotically? Why doesn't it fly on a straight line? Wonderful question. Oh. Um, the When you have a rocket, actually, you know how they travel in straight lines and we're always very impressed, right? But what we don't see is the amount of control mechanisms and structures within the rocket that make sure the exhaust comes out in a very orderly and a very directional fashion. Right. When you puncture a balloon, the exhaust that's coming out is coming out in a way that's poorly controlled. It's not a pinpricked hole, for example. It just There's a difference. You can try this. You put a little tiny hole in a balloon as opposed to a large hole in the balloon. The larger the hole, the more chaotic the flow goes. So it's a matter of whether or not you can control the air coming out in a reasonable or a linear way compared with whether it's just rushing out all at once. Well, also, you'd want the movement of the air to line up with the center of mass of the balloon. Yeah. 
Okay. Right. And so if that lines up, then the balloon will just be pushed in one direction. If the jet's air is coming out at an angle different from straight to the center of mass, you'll start rotating the balloon. And right. Plus, the balloon is not symmetric. There's that little, the, the bottom of it where you got the, the, the knot. Nub, yeah, the, the knot. The knot. So right. the balloon's weight is not symmetric. And the center of the mass of the balloon would also move around as the balloon deflates. Yes! Mm -hmm. Yes! That's right. So what you'd have to do is configure something, like get a straw maybe yeah. to guide the air a little mm -hmm. better, have mm -hmm. some stabilizers, and then you can make a balloon rocket. Yeah. That would be yeah. a lot of fun. But I love that question. It's a great question. That sounds question. like a kid that's, that's tearing up birthday parties. <laughs> <laughs> I want that kid on my research staff. <laughs> okay. So, oh, by the way, most of the time when you pinprick a balloon, it blows up. Right. Right. So, you have mm -hmm. to do this carefully. Yeah. Right. Uh, I learned as a child, if you put a piece of tape on the balloon, uh -huh. then you poke the hole through the tape, then the rubber or the outside, like, flexible stuff doesn't rupture in a rip, and you just get a little hole, then you can have it go around. So, you've done this before. <laughs> Of course, hasn't everybody. Okay, no, I haven't put tape on a balloon to puncture it. Oh, give it a try sometime. But it's, it's, it's way really more fun cool. to just pop them. It's too fast. <laughs> it is too fast. It's too fast. It's too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you are correct. Okay. <laughs> I will try this from now on. Any kind of uh, masking tape or? Uh, I used like plastic invisible tape. Okay, you know? yeah, yeah, scotch, scotch tape. tape. Okay, yeah. good. So pulsar priv on wait, wait. Now you put on both sides of a balloon. There you go. Up, That's then the it. Won't yep. know where to go. It won't know where to go. Oh It'll start spinning. That would be fun. All right, four-year-old mm -hmm. balloon experiments. Yeah, I like that. So Pulsar Priv on Instagram says, Hi, quick question. How would you explain neutrinos to dumb teenagers who know nothing about astrophysics? Okay, okay. And First, the question, it doesn't make clear yeah. whether they themselves yeah, are yeah, a dumb yeah. teenager or are trying it's to... a friend, a friend. Yeah. Let, I would explain to a friend. Let me jump in right now and say that there are no dumb teenagers. There just aren't. Uh, I'm an educator, and maybe I'm I'm showing my bias here, but I've never found an actual dumb teenager. They can be pretend to be dumb. They may think they're it's dumb. Cool. Yeah, but they're not actually dumb. I want people always to feel like that they are smart because they are, and not have to act dumb or pretend to be dumb to be cool. All right. So there's no such thing as a dumb teenager. That's just my opinion. Sorry, I had to get it out there. Now to answer the question, a neutrino is just a little tiny particle that comes out so that in atomic interactions... Nuclear interactions. In, in yes. nuclear interactions, uh, energy is properly balanced, okay? Both in the motion and in the amount. I think that's really what a simple way of describing a neutrino yeah, it's, is. It's a pretty weird particle because no one knew they existed and there was an imbalance in the experiments that were being done in nuclear physics. And it was Enrico Fermi yes. who said... There's got to be a particle carrying away this momentum. There has to. We're looking. We don't find it. It's got to keep looking. It's got to be. What properties would it have? We should, can't have any charge. So it's got to be neutral. And it's got to be really low mass, a little. So it's got to be a little and neutral. And Well, the funny thing is, And, of and course, so in Italian, neutrino. Right. Like Bambino, Neutrino. <laughs> so it's just the diminutive version of right. neutrals. Of, of neutral, or, or of a neutron, right, right, right. But the funny thing is when this was first proposed, the neutron had not yet been discovered. Mm. So when the neutron was discovered, people were like, oh, is this it? And did more calculations. No, like, nope, still, still not it. Yeah, too, There's too something massive. that's even smaller than the neutron. That, that has no charge. That right, has right, no right. Charge. So yeah, it's, got, it's, it's necessary to what's going on in the universe, but it's very hard to stop. It plows through anything right. 
What's, what's the number of neutrinos that go through your thumb every second from the sun? Many trillions. Trillions. Many, many trillions. Can you feel yeah. it? Can, Matt, Can't can you feel, feel it? I'm going to kind of bit. <laughs> it could be the air conditioning. I don't know. It's hard to tell. So how do, how do we... Because they don't interact, and that's why they're so, they were so hard to detect. Right. But they do interact very minimally, right? We can yes. detect them. And it was one of the great experiments in astrophysics that allowed us to find neutrinos coming out of the sun. What happened was that people took a very large vat of dry cleaning fluid, very pure, put it down more than a mile below the surface in, uh, a, in South Dakota and surrounded uh, it. I think it was just a pre-existing salt mine, wasn't it? It, it was a gold mine. Oh, gold the mine. The Homestake gold mine. Gold mine, not right. a salt mine. Okay. And it was sunk all the way down to the bottom. Uh, they put it there and they surrounded it with a lot of cameras. And so they just watched this tank of very pure... Uh, cleaning fluid. And when a neutrino hit, even though trillions and trillions pass through every second, they might only get one neutrino hit every long once in a while. And when that happened, there would be a flash of light. And so they'd watch it and make sure that the flash of light is not caused by anything other than a solar neutrino. And that's what it was. So well, it was an cleaning fluid. Discovery. It turns out that that particular uh, molecule, uh, perchlorate. Yeah, but, um, I think a, it needed the chlorine in, yeah, the, in it. had a yeah. special nice uh, property that it would, when hit by a neutrino and with that interaction, very rare occasional interaction, would cause that flash of light to be done. How long ago did that experiment happen? Was it recent? A couple of decades. That yeah, was several I mean, decades ago. Yeah, uh, uh -huh. the, still the 70s, Ray 80s. Davis Jr. was yeah. the experimentalist. John Bacall was the theorist that was yeah, Ray Davis got that. the Nobel Prize, I yes, think, for that, but right. not John Bacall. So yes, a, yes. Uh, people didn't fully understand that. You have the theory and the experiment and the observations. Mm -hmm. They all have to come together to make to make that uh, discovery. That's correct. Uh, but that was a, a real triumph. And it led to a secondary discovery, actually, because it turned out that the number of neutrinos that were being detected from the sun were uh, fewer than we expected. And so for a moment, people thought, wait a second, is the sun dead and we just don't know it yet? Um, it was known as the solar neutrino problem because those neutrinos had to be produced in order for nuclear fusion to be going on. So if they were half as many as we expected, then maybe the sun itself was starting to run out of fuel. Scary prospect. Yeah, scary prospect. Turned out though, that it was just uh, something happening in our upper atmosphere called neutrino oscillations. Another amazing discovery. Yeah, so it'd be, I throw you a basketball, but you catch a football. Right. So, the, so the experiment was designed to detect basketballs, and but you were actually receiving footballs. And, and what it is is someone in between us is swapping them out. That's right. <laughs> and it was amazing. Yeah. That was what was happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah, these neutrinos come in different flavors, it turns out. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew at the time? Right? Oh, okay. So there isn't just one neutrino particle. There's three. Yeah, okay. three different kinds. Electron neutrinos, tau neutrinos, and mu neutrinos. And their antimatter counterparts. And their antimatter counterparts. They're really six. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Physics is amazing, isn't it? I love summer school. Great question. Summer school. Next question. <laughs> All right. Kyle Ryan Toth on Patreon asks, ignoring the cold, could a settlement survive on the surface of Pluto? What would radiation levels be like? Are there any useful resources other than water ice? Hold me back. <laughs> we'll get to that question when we return. Yeah. 
You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter. Or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. The future of space and the secrets of our planet revealed. Is Star Talk. Star Talk Summer School. Matt, before the break, you you had a Pluto question. It is, yeah. You know, uh, me and Pluto have, have history. <laughs> but we buried the hatchet long ago. Well, whether it's a planet or not, could a settlement survive on it? Oh. Well, you can ask why would you want to do such a thing. Right. Because, but just take, for example, yep. Charles. Yeah. Is, is there a line of people waiting to settle in Antarctica? No. And Antarctica is warmer and is balmier and wetter than Pluto. And so, there's penguins. <laughs> so the best of my knowledge, yeah, there are and, and, none. And in a, a pinch, I, we can eat a penguin, right? <laughs> That's right. So Pluto, uh, in principle, Charles, I, in principle, we could just pitch tent anywhere. You just bring enough resources, yeah, right? Yeah, the settlement could survive there as long as you could shield yourself from the cosmic rays that hit it, and as long as you can keep yourself warm because the temperature is so low out in that distance. And what, food, you need no way to generate yeah, food. You need food. How faint is the sun? If, you, if I was standing on the surface of Pluto and staring straight at the sun, which I presume I would be safe to do. Uh, the at, flux is only about one sixteen hundredth the amount of flux that we get from the sun here on Earth. So is what it would that only be? that much? I, th- I thought, I'm going on a memory now, not on a calculation, mm-hmm. that the sun from Pluto is about like a full moon night here. Is, that, Ooh, is it brighter that than that? Let me do that quick calculation there. Uh, well, uh, absolute magnitude negative 26 for the sun, and, minus and 15. No, for, 12. Minus 12, 12 for the yeah. moon. So that's 14 magnitudes. 14. So that's a factor of 10. So 7. Yeah. Uh, so 10 of the four, that's 10 to 14. No, not quite that much. Yeah. yeah. 7 magnitudes? Oh, no, sorry, 5. Yeah. 5. So, so, to, yeah, so it's a factor of 100,000. So it's a little bit. And you said it's... I said 1,600 because um, it's a 40 AU, right? Oh, you just divided out. Distance, yeah, yeah, okay. So. That's right, as for so there, you think there we may need be Huffbo to find out if we're. <laughs> you're, you're in the middle of an active calculation here. You pull up a Huffpo page. No, no. This actually brings up a very good mm-hmm. point, and I teach this to all my students. Mm-hmm. And since this is a summer school episode, it's quite appropriate. We are forty. Uh, Pluto is forty times farther right. away from the sun than Earth is right. on average, mm-hmm. and so it's one over that square. That's right. So, so that's one, that's where you get the one sixteen hundredth as bright. That's right. Mm-hmm. But but the idea that a person inverse can square pull, law of light. Very cool. The, the idea that a person can just pull up the answer on Google faster than we can do the calculation brings up a really important point about school in general and education in specific. You might agree with this, Neil. We can no longer 
think that we are educated if all we can do is memorize facts or calculate things that can already be calculated and sit on a database. We have the world's information at our fingertips. The only way that we can remain viable as a productive member of society or as a civilization is if we are better than Google. We have to do that. And I'm just not picking Google specifically. Sounds like he doesn't want to be replaced with a robot. (laughs) Matt, does that sound like that to you? It is absolutely right. We all can easily be replaced by a search engine. Our education system, our learning, our interaction with nature and with the world and with other Uh people must be better than a search engine. Well, we know Charles already for president. Ch- Charles for president. <laughs> we know that Charles is a better singer than Google, so. <laughs> I think that was Charles' stump speech right there. Yeah. Oh, it? dear. Yeah. Well, we are talking about singing and the like. <laughs> Marcus, and I'm going to apologize for butchering this name, but Guimaras, I apologize if that is way off, on Patreon asks, I had a debate with a friend of mine where he said that scientists hate art <gasps> in general. I think that's not true, yeah. says Marcus. Excuse Dr. Tyson me while loves I go and, and he loves up. the Starry Night by Van Gogh. <laughs> Could you please tell us something about the subject? <laughs> Charles, are you okay there? You seem you seem uh, you Science seem put out somehow. Science art? No way. Yeah, no I, I don't know. Way. First, I don't know any scientist who hates art. A. B. Many scientists I know not only just don't hate it but love it. Yeah. C. Um, the one of the books behind you on a shelf is called Mathematics and Art, a book written by an art curator who has fascinated by the role of science as it has influenced art. And I was privileged to be asked to write the foreword to that book. And as the writer knows, I'm a big fan of The Starry Night mm-hmm. by Vincent van Gogh, 1889. And so I... and. And I'm not unusual in this regard. There, are, uh, our colleagues love music, I love art, on levels that you might not even know or suspect. Because generally, if they're in the news, it's not because of that; it's because of the science they're doing. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, we yeah. we're we're art loving community we, all the way back. And why do you th- why do you think universities they're called the schools of arts, arts and, and sciences? sciences. Mm-hmm. We go mm-hmm. way back, yeah, way back. Two sides of a coin, each the pinnacle of human creativity and expression. One constrained by the universe, the other constrained by imagination itself. Science and art. I could not say it better, Neil. It is absolutely true. Science and art are inextricably intertwined. There is no scientist I know that doesn't like art. Have him take up that question with Leonardo da Vinci. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And Albert Einstein himself wrote in 1930 that the sense of the mysterious, the wish to be awed by things we don't know, is the root of all great art and science. And I agree with that statement. Uh, Trina Jennings on Facebook asks... If we can figure out the center of the Milky Way galaxy smells like raspberries, <laughs> can we figure out what things would smell like elsewhere? Would the center of all galaxies smell like raspberries? Okay, who said the center of the galaxy smells like oh, raspberries? Oh, it's a, a cute um, press release about people who are looking at molecules in uh, gas molecules. clouds. Okay. And it turned out that they detected certain aromatic compounds mm-hmm. which are found in raspberries. Okay. So they said, oh, it smells like raspberries. 
oh, it smells like raspberries because uh, there are these volatile organic compounds that are in gas clouds near the Milky Way galaxy center. There's also a lot of ethanol there too. Yes, it sound like so a, dr- a smell, drunkard. Yeah, it would smell <laughs> like a brewery. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> no, that'd actually, be the yeast. I think the yeast oh, is the predominant oh, smell right, in, a, right. in a brewery. And that's right. So in a distillery, there's, look, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of organic molecules right. in space. So and there's even sun, a sunless tanning lotion too, uh, DHA. In molecules over there, so you can not only get a great suntan. I, I've never you looked. You can also I, smell. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't did. know such a thing existed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah sorry. <laughs> Up in the uh, hood. Not <laughs> <laughs> you guys not tanning much? <laughs> yeah, the CVS doesn't have that on yeah, the front yeah, counter. Yeah. You don't think no, the spray tan? No, 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 not in the hood. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, so it's a little deceptive to say that space smells like that. Right. Space smells like nothing, unless you put molecules where you're right. sniffing. And there are molecules everywhere, right. and so there it is. Then you're smelling molecules in space right. rather than space itself. Right. So to answer that question constructively, the yeah. answer is yes. As long as we can find the molecules that create certain smells in our brains through our noses in a location, we can tell you exactly what that, what that would smell, smell. Like, precisely. But there are a lot of particles out there, and they can smell like a lot of different things. Yeah. Indeed. Nice. All right. Uh, all right. Who wants a relativity question? Bring it on. Yeah. Hussein Sajwani on Twitter says, I am still having a hard time understanding the concept of how if your twin is on Earth and you travel at almost the speed of light, you will not age as much as them or something like that. Mm. Can you really try to dumb it down or using analogies? Again, before before Neil says anything. No, no, I'm not saying anything. (laughs) I'm out of this one. Go. Please don't use the term dumb down. We are not dumbing things down. We are merely translating the concept into a language that everyone can understand. In that That's case, the... can you smart it up? <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Matt. Okay, here's the basic point. Smart uh, it down. Yeah. yeah. Smart it <laughs> smart down. It. Time is experienced at different rates for people who are traveling at different rates of speed. That's a very, very complicated concept if you're trying to lock it into our idea in our regular time that a second is a second is a second. But the moment you acknowledge the possibility that time is a dimension, like length, width, and height, and you can move through it at different speeds, then the twin paradox that is described here or other paradoxes become not too difficult because what you're doing is measuring time intervals, right? You're not measuring actually the amount of time at this very instant, but you're measuring the time from the time you experience one minute ago to the time you experience a minute from now. That person who is traveling at a different rate through time and space will simply experience a different interval. And you'll both call it a minute. Yeah. But relative to each other, they're different lengths. So, yeah. you only realize that once you come back into contact with each other. Correct. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And the way to know who will be younger because both of them in motion will say that the other one is tick their their opposite clock is ticking slower is that the your twin who went out had to slow down turn around and come back and that breaks the symmetry it's called a paradox because if i see you traveling and your time is ticking more slowly and motion is relative and you see me i'm actually standing still but it's as far as you're concerned, you're standing still and I'm moving. You see my time, t- time ticking slowly. How is it that at the end of this exercise, one person is younger than the other? Right. How do, how do we not know? Like if, yeah, right. the, the train is going past the platform rather than the platform is going past the train. The it was one of the great be- jokes against Einstein who said, hey, Einstein, when does Grand Central Station arrive at the next train? <laughs> <laughs> they try, people, you, everyone was trying to get their head around this right. back so, at the time. So it's, it's specifically the acceleration of the 
the one twin yes, who goes out on breaks, the spaceship that, and goes out and then turns around and yeah, comes back. That, that breaks the symmetry. Right, is that acceleration exercise. and then deceleration? Then? Right. Yeah, the whole thing is either positive or negative acceleration, but it's just, it wouldn't matter. It's an acceleration. The right. one that leaves and comes back, that's the one that is the thing that appears to be wrong. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's an uncomfortable concept because we don't experience that in everyday life. That's right. As our active senses do, it was not necessary to know this on the plains of the Serengeti. <laughs> to avoid getting eaten by a lion, you didn't yep. need to know relativity. But it's absolutely necessary in this day and age of atomic energy and very, very high speeds. Yeah. Matt, it's time for lightning round. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. See if the bell works. It does. Uh, so Charles and I will try to answer in sound bites. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to jump back from Einstein to Newton. DJ Mulkey on Instagram says, I read a few years back that the Earth is technically falling into the sun, but doesn't actually go into the sun. Is that true? Yes. And the reason it doesn't go in is because it's traveling at orbital velocity around the sun. Yeah. If we if we traveled any slower sideways, we would fall towards, get closer to the sun. So uh, we are falling towards the sun, but we're being held up, if you will by our very high sideways speed. So yeah, we got this. And Isaac Newton first demonstrated this in... Uh, Principia. Principia. Mm -hmm. And first drew it in the system of the world. That was his cliff notes for his Principia. Terrific. Written in English. Wonderful. Very cool. All right, you got it. All right. Uh, Code Monkey IA on Instagram <laughs> says, what causes the Earth's magnetic poles to move and what would cause the magnetic north and south to flip? Ah, very good question. Our magnetic field is created by the dynamic motion of ferromagnetic materials inside our Earth. Iron. Yeah. <laughs> almost all iron. It's almost entirely Almost iron. all iron. <laughs> and because of that, because it's fluid and it moves, that's why our poles move. It's as if you had a dancing magnet inside, but it's kind of somewhat semi-solid, somewhat liquid. And it rotates, but not exactly the same rate that Earth does. So all these dynamics influence which direction on Earth's surface you find the North and South Pole and whether the North is up or down relative to it. And history has shown that the poles have flipped multiple times in yeah. the past. Yeah. Next. Oh, by the way, if, our, if Earth cools completely yeah. and the core becomes solid, solid. the ma it. magnetic field shuts off. It's frozen. Yeah, it's done. Good. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. Uh... Sorry, it wouldn't shut off the magnetic field. It just changed the <laughs> movement of the magnetic field. Right. Good. Good. Okay. Evan Howington on Facebook says, if the universe is infinite, then how could time exist other than the meaning we give it? Um, if the universe is infinite is the key point. We don't know necessarily yet that the universe is infinite. He's saying if it's infinite, let's, let's, let's uh, change the question. Suppose the universe had no beginning and no known end, is infinite in time and space. What does it even mean to have a calendar? Mm. Great point. What are you measuring? Well, well, Is that kind of the paraphrase of that question? I think so, I think yes. So. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And, and what we would be measuring in time is the various atomic processes going on in our bodies. And a clock, like the definition of a second, is just a way to macroscopically allow us to know whether we're getting older or whether we're not. So you need vibrating, repeating phenomenon to measure time accurately at all. Mm -hmm. So in a universe where nothing repeats, there can be no measurement of time well what do you think of that if you can measure the passage of time or define the passage of time as the expansion of the universe then you don't have to have a vibration you can just have the change that's going in a single direction from smaller to larger okay you so time then gets measured by size yeah size of things right. interesting mm -hmm. okay. rather than repetition 
Matt, last question. Go for it. All right, I'm going to go with this one then. Uh, Billy from Queens here out of Billy. Hunter College. Give me some Billy. Hunter College, City University of New York. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Cosmically Curious on Instagram. says, what are some tips for an everyday astrophysics student who wants to become an extremely successful science educator? Oh, uh, read Neil's books. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I uh, really love it when educators express their knowledge in the language of the people who are listening. In other words, a really good science educator is essentially a very good interpreter, a very good translator. Not someone that just dumbs things down, not just someone that turns things into sound bites, but someone that can really take a concept that's sort of described by math and science and turned into English or French or uh, whatever language that the person is fluent in. That is the mark of a true science educator, thinking about the audience and not necessarily about the source. Ooh. I can't, I can't touch that. <laughs> I can't touch <laughs> that. Other than to add punctuation and say that Galileo, an academic fluent in Latin, when he decided to write about the whether Earth was in the center of the known universe or it orbiting the sun, he wrote that in Italian. Yes. Knowing that the common folk would be able to then embrace and appreciate the discoveries he was making. And so that was quite a striking fact. That's like Carl Sagan appearing on The Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah. That's, you're crossing. A pivotal moment. Th you're crossing yeah. boundaries there. And then he became a regular guest on The Tonight Show. Coming to the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where the people, where, where the people right. are. Right. And, and never like claiming that he was somehow smarter or better than they were. Empowering but people to think even more highly of the, their own intellect that maybe they only just discovered for the first time. Well said, sir. We got to end it there. <laughs> Charles. Neil. Dude. Dude. Love you, man. Love you too, man. Family, everybody's okay? Everybody's good last I checked. Excellent, excellent. Right. Matt. It's been a joy. Uh, probably Science is going strong. That is the podcast, we, yeah. We look for that on, on the podcast. And you've been watching, more likely perhaps listening, to this episode of Star Talk our edition called Summer School. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and as always... You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter. Or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduce speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary.